This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Ryan Dalton. You could consider, I wouldn't say an anti-hunter, but someone who comes from a wildlife background, wildlife um, zoo background. He's a comedian, but he doesn't hunt. Never hunted, doesn't have an inkling to hunt. But he started a podcast during COVID tied to wildlife and nature conservation and very quickly got into the whole idea of hunting slash trophy hunting and really wanted to explore it for himself. He's from the UK. The UK is looking to ban trophy hunting. And so he decided to go to Namibia. And instead of just talking to the people on the ground, and he did talk to people on the ground, he wanted to go, and he wanted to go and see them, he wanted to go speak to them, and he wanted to hear from them what they believed hunting is doing for them. Fascinating conversation, great dude, funny guy. Um, I know you're going to love it. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple, is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name, my name is... Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So Friday is a Friday afternoon. Uh, yet? Half not quite, an hour, right? and I can have lunch. <laughs>
Is it too early Friday afternoon? Is it beer o'clock yet? Do you know what? That's really weird you said that. Wine o'clock. It's a Friday. Gin and tonic o'clock. Instantly, before coming on this call, was like, I can't have a beer with this. It's 11.30 a.m. But it's really sunny and I want a beer. <laughs> Listen, man, I would have a beer with you. It's 5.30 in the morning, my time. But uh, i got a long day in front of me. a very different chat, um, Robbie. <laughs> it would be a very different chat. Uh, but if we were doing this at, in the evening... Yeah, I tend to like a, a good bourbon. Um, yeah, bourbon Friday on the rocks. night bourbon. Mm. Yeah, a couple of bits of ice, done. Well, talking about drinks, did you experience the whole like gin and tonic sundowner when you were in Africa? <laughs> I did, I did, but I'm I'm annoyingly British in London, so my go-to is get to the bar, get a pint, and which I did, but then about. After a couple of that, people were like, it's time for the sundown. And I kept hearing that word. I was like, this is my first time in Africa, in Southern Africa, and I didn't know what that meant. So people were just bringing me gin and tonics and showing me a sunset. And I was like, this, I like this. <laughs> it is one of the, um, I think one of the, you know, I don't know if it would be a, a colonial um, leftover or whatnot in, in our society, but a sundown is something that is just, is just, quintessential africa yeah it's I don't, yeah you're probably right it, it, everything the thing is it was so colonial that everything has a touch of colonial really yeah exactly 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 well um ryan dalton man welcome yeah. to the blood origins podcast thanks for having me on man i'm really excited to be here uh, for those that don't know who you are and, and what you do, can you give a little brief introduction to yourself? Yeah, so uh, I'm Ryan Dalton. I am a host of a wildlife, nature and conservation podcast called Into the World, which started uh, during lockdown due to boredom and the fact that I had always worked with wildlife um, and uh, had been presenting for a long time in, in the comedy world. And then decided, you know, since COVID ripped that away from me, I was like, well, let's go into presenting and, and learn more about the, the natural world. And so, yeah, I've been uh, doing that. And I also, I, I live in London, 32, love this city, hate this city at the same time. And, uh, into the wild has gone down a route of really almost at times being an investigative wildlife series. Love and that's it. something that we're trying to jump more into for the next year is, uh, go deeper into topics and try and really rather than just talk about them actually learn and and, and if needed if necessary look at a solution yeah i love that i love the aspect of it and um you know i don't beat around the bush on this podcast if people know if you know anything about blood origins you know anything <laughs> about me yes we are um we advocate for hunting mm. i am a hunter um but we tend to stand in the middle and mm. a lot of people get upset with us when I say that. Even one of my the people that work with us, they're like, Robbie, you don't stand in the middle. You know, you have an opinion you have an opinion and you have a stance. And I said, Yes, we do. But we also like to look at things from all sides of the coin. Exactly, right. And yeah. we like to stand in the middle and say, Okay, are we, are, is hunting doing something wrong here? Mm. And if we are, we need to address it. We yeah. can't just ignore it. We can't just push it away. We can't just uh, ignore it. We need to address it. If there's, if if, mm-hmm. if populations are suffering, i.e., becoming endangered because of an activity that takes the lives of animals, guys, we should, we should actually, we well, not address. It needs to stop. Yeah, and that 
You know, it's not what we want. We like to hunt. Yeah. So why would we, at the end of the day? So it's sort of this antithetical statement when people yeah. say, you know, you guys are driving species into extinction. I, I have to pause and say, but the whole point for us to hunt is to continue to hunt. So why would we drive something to extinction if we want to continue to hunt? Exactly. But I it mean, does it's happen. Not I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Model. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be it's the best. It's not the best business model. <laughs> but at the same time, like as well from a communication point of view of your show and, and stuff, you know, you, you can talk to your bubble every day of the week easily. And that's, that's fantastic. And you're going to say a lot of things that people will resonate with and will enjoy hearing and, but when we look at how complex this whole planet is and, you know, even where you are in America, even one country being as complex and mm-hmm. do you just want to talk to your bubble or do you want to try and mm-hmm. gr- create greater conversation where more is being achieved by talking to the others? The great skill about and the great privilege really with podcasts as well is that you have complete control to talk to whoever you want um, and to talk exactly. about whatever you want. So we should be every podcast should be utilizing that so much. No, I love it, man. I love it. Well, let me set the tone. Let me set the scene here because there's a specific reason why I wanted you on. We've alluded mm. to it a little bit. You went to Africa for the first time. But I really want to get a little bit of a, a context to who you are, Ryan. Um, okay. That I think will frame up the reason why I wanted you to be on here. Mm. So you said you've been in the wildlife realm, wildlife lover realm. What? what <laughs> How why would how would you describe that? A so little bit more? from a like it's that classic as I'm sure most people you talk to, I was always a kid that was just outdoors, just doing like just always inquisitive about wildlife in the garden, in the local woodlands and stuff. So it was always a thing that seemed obvious to me to enjoy. And then as as I grew up into studies and further education, that was something that I wanted to uh pursue a bit more. So studying at a diploma level with um, animal husbandry because I really like the care side of animals, how to you know um, have care, how to know about behavior, nutrition, all this kind of stuff, what an animal needs, um, and some zoological studies as well. Um, and then after that, managed to just land myself into a job that was um, in that exact field. So I worked in a zoo as a keeper and then went on into the education side of the zoo. So my job very quickly became from what I thought I wanted to do of the actual looking after the animals to actually communicating to the wider public about wildlife and about conservation and what needs to happen or what I thought needed to happen at the time. Um, So it was really my job to kind of research the species we had, what their situation is in the wild and how best our visitors in the zoo or changes they can make in their life to benefit the wild spaces or the animals there. Um, so it was all about trying to be kept up to date. And as I went into the comedy industry, things kind of evolved a little bit and you kind of step away from that. And it, but, but it was always there. Anything I did um, kind of in my own life was always wildlife focused, always going for walks, going wildlife spotting. My holidays were always wildlife focused. Um, and then, like I said, when lockdown hit, obviously comedy was taken away from a live perspective um and i thought well sure. i really want to go back into the i've got that draw for nature um so i thought let's start talking to uh naturalists conservationists filmmakers all stuff like this and it just very yeah, quickly yeah, yeah, landed yeah. me into these wonderful conversations so um and since then god it's landed me on paths that i didn't even know i'd be on and Sweet. has really challenged in a very positive way has challenged me yeah, would you say that your day job was as a, as a comedian? Was that your so, day job? 
It, yeah, it was. Um, it, so, yeah, for seven was, years. Was, is. Well, yeah. not anymore. So I, I don't perform live stand-up now just purely because the podcast has become a job. Um, so it's kind of replaced okay. that. I also run, this is the weird part, I guess weird or sound bizarre. I run a professional dog walking company in North London as well. <laughs> Look, that's always the day job, right? There's a day it job that we so have to random. do. But we've got a nice team of four people that, you know, two of them are working today. It's a lovely business. It's my bread and butter. And I absolutely adore the job. And I'm exactly. outside at the local green spaces four days a week. So it's beautiful. Exactly. Okay. So here's the, here's the first thorny question. Go on. Before you went to Africa. Yeah. You did not... Had, have you ever... Have you... Period. Maybe the, I'll start before the thorny question. Have you ever hunted? No. Okay. What was your perspective? No, no, this is good because this is you're the yeah. kind of exactly, and that's the reason why I want you on here. Hmm. What was your perspective of hunting, Ryan? What was your perspective on hunting? Probably even days before you decided to go to Africa, like just generally living in the UK, hmm. general opinion, general perspective. Um, this is, I, I like this question because it's really, it, it's hard to answer because it, what I do in my head is try to justify, but I'm going to put myself back to, to two years ago. And then before I went to Africa, um, I didn't understand hunting and I didn't understand those that did, um, in the same way. Did you have a of, negative perception of hunters and hunting? Would you say? I was, I, I had a level, I like to think I had a level head enough to have that opinion more so in my country than glo- like blanket it across the the whole globe. So hunting so in or, your country, in yeah, your country, I, it was negative. Yeah, I think there's a lot of mismanagement in shooting. I would call it just more shooting in this country. I wouldn't even really call it hunting. It's more gamekeeping, flushing out birds that are not native here, and or some are, some aren't, some are introduced, and all things like this. But there is a lot of deer stalking that goes on in this country that is done on a very professional level as well. Um, but you know we've lost a lot of our wild space, so it's and it's because of things like this and agriculture. So I, I had a very negative view of hunting and shooting in this country, and there's also illegal hunting going on in this country as well. Um, so it, I, I never growing up, I always had that kind of Ugh, gross. Why would you want to kill an animal? And I still feel like mm, that. I, I still, mm, I still don't mm. understand it in the same way I don't understand people that like certain types of music. I'm like, why do you like that? I don't, I don't understand the enjoyment. <laughs> that is a but phenomenal I, comparison. <laughs> Well, that but, is a but, phenomenal but, comparison. Well, no, because it's like, like that's a, that's at the end of the day, it is that. That's the end is. of the day, it is. You, it's all right. I just very... don't like that. Yeah, I just don't like it. Like and, I just don't like that kind of music. But this is the thing. Before I went to Africa, I had a bit more of an understanding. Um, but to the point of so on this journey before we went to Africa, I kind of I, I spoke to a few hunters just to try and get get the answers out. And what I learned was it is. It is more of the process, and the killing the animal is a part of that whole process of hunting. It is not just killing the animal is hunting. Um, it, it's the process of going out into the, uh, stalking the animal, being out in the bush, being around nature, being in the environment. So really, I, when you compare it to you know, my brother liking Slayer as a band, I'm like, why? I understand he likes to go to festivals. I get that bit. I like he, be, he likes to be in a social environment. I get that bit, but I don't like, I don't get the Slayer bit. <laughs> so that's the same with hunting. It's just that last bit of enjoyment that I'm like, for me, I just, I wouldn't get, but I'd love to go trekking into the, I don't know, some national park, or not national park, some wild space somewhere and go and camp under the stars. That bit 
fully on board. So I had a very, at first I was like, yeah, don't get it. Hunting, especially trophy hunting. I was like, no, gross, get in the bin, mate. Don't want it to happen. It's absolutely barbaric. It's all these things that we still hear. And there are still aspects that hold that in my mind, but a much more level-headed kind of approach Mm -hmm. since I've kind Mm -hmm. of forced myself to be challenged on those things. I love asking hunters, you know, when I ask them, like, why do you hunt? Yeah. And I've asked maybe 70, 80 people that question, and they have various answers. None of them are saying, none of none of the answers back, and maybe because they're on camera, they say because we like killing shit. Um, mm. And it makes sense that that is not the reason why you do it, because hunting inherently has a element of failure in it. Yeah. And so when you start thinking about percentages and you start breaking down the science and the statistics of actual take rates mm. when it comes to hunting, you're looking probably less than 50% in some species uh, for, the first spe- for the first animal you take and less than like 5% for the second animal that you take. And so when you start thinking about statistics in those kinds of numbers, mm. there has to be something else beyond this this idea that we just hunt because we enjoy killing we have this bloodlust associated with us that we have to satisfy yeah yeah so it's a it's a fascinating element to that and and the other thing that i'll say which which really ties in with the analogy that you made about a music festival and the type of music that you're listening at that music festival which is when someone goes hunting i'll ask somebody they'll explain the whole process mm. And I said, but couldn't you do that, but just not take a gun with you? Yeah. And the answer is always, I think, deep down, yes. There is a, if you look at the percentage of what is actually happening, the answer is yes. <laughs> but there's something the to draw there. The, the answer, I, some people, the answer could be yes. I will mm. say the answer that the reason why a lot of people say to me the different, why there's a difference is that Something changes in your brain, and I don't know if this is chemical, whether this is primal or whatnot, that when you know you're in the woods hunting versus when you're in the woods hiking, there's just this sort of change in perception of what you're doing in that environment. Right. Okay, yeah. So you're, you're, I guess it's that you're looking – there's almost a motivation there. There's a different reason for you. Being, I mean, I spoke to a hunter once that told me – if he ended up in a wheelchair and couldn't walk, he wouldn't hunt because it's not just about shooting that gun. It's the whole process of going out yeah, and doing it. It's the animal. So. It's the footprints. It's the tracking. It's the wind. Yeah. It's the, can they see me? Can they not see me? Because when you're hiking, you're not really worried about that, right? You're just walking. You're just walking. Oh, yeah, you're deer. enjoying the walk. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, then, I just, but that's, that it's is, a I very... Think, f- I think you touch on a good point though, though, because there was a, I saw a tweet yesterday and I won't remember the guy's name, but um, he said, it's talking about shooting in the UK. If you if you want to shoot duck in the UK, don't do driven duck shooting. I ask you to go to a site that is managed by a wildlife um, kind of restoration organization or uh, business that is bringing back the natural land, that is managing these species that will tell you which ones to take or which ones on how many. And yes, you'll shoot 50% less than you would if you went to driven duck shooting. But at the end of the day, if that's what you want, you just want to shoot a gun. So in which case we ask you to do clays. <laughs> that's what he said. That's That was his view. And I think there is an element of what you just said there is true. If you just want the high take, then actually is hunting what you want to do or is it just shooting yeah no great point great point so 
all of a sudden you go from this individual who's <laughs> a wildlife lover yeah who has a semi-negative perception about hunting and hunters uh -huh. and you decide i want to understand this whole this barbaric activity called trophy <laughs> hunting more yeah. so i'm just going to go to namibia and understand it <laughs> yeah. who does that, that right? ryan dalton <laughs> yeah who does that yeah i when i get an idea in my head my girlfriend gets worried because she's like, well, how much is this going to take up? <laughs> how much time is this going to stop? But that, that was it. Essentially, we were doing the podcast, and I had a chat with a UK scientist who about trophy hunting online. We just organically were ended up in this thread, and I'd already interviewed this person, and I thought, well, I listened who to him. Who was that? Uh, Professor Adam Hart. Yep, yep, good um, guy. Yep. I'd already had him on the show to talk about something completely different, um, and I thought to myself, well, you listened to him when he was talking to you about wasps in the UK. So why would you now not listen to him when he's talking about trophy hunting? And I'm actually really glad that it was Adam that I was talking to, because I think if it was anyone else, maybe I wouldn't have gone down this trail of thought. Um, so we spoke about it and he said, look, I can put you in touch with some people that live in areas that say they are benefiting if you want to learn about that. So we did, and we did an episode on Into the Wild um, about trophy hunting in Namibia um, with three Namibian people. And it was eye-opening, and my audience absolutely loved it, challenged a lot of people. A lot of people were very thankful for having that chat. And, but I was still getting replies going, they're making it up. They're not being – can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, go ahead. They, they're, they're, it's absolute bullshit. What they're saying is not true. Um, we don't believe them. And I was sat there, and I remember looking at my girlfriend going, what the hell, man? Like, what? what why would they lie? Like, I've, I'm a random mm – -hmm. Londoner that has contacted them, they've made their way somewhere to get a connection, and we're talking on Zoom. Why would they lie? Why I don't get it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I remember then saying to Adam, like, you know, having a bit of rant about it, going, Oh, this fucking pisses me off. Like, why, why don't people listen to these voices? Like, no one, like, you know, they, they, they claim these voices don't exist, and when they pop up, they say they're not real. And it was really getting to me, and then. Adam said, well, you know, it's, it's hearing it, isn't it? If you saw it, it's completely different. I went, well, let's make a film. <laughs> and we laughed. Um, <laughs> and then oh, three months later, we had funding. And six months after that, due to COVID, uh, we were going to Namibia. Um, because I, I, I wanted to go to Namibia because if – if people were telling me there are benefits, I want to go to a country that is claiming that communities are benefiting and I want to go and see it. In the same way, if a gamekeeper tells me they've got flourish of wildlife and great ecosystems, I will go to the one that's telling me they've got that to see, not to one that I already know is, has not. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's so, how that happened. <laughs> I like, you know, so sort of fast forward, I want to know the sort of coming out of Namibia. I want to, mm -hmm. I want to learn, I want to hear all about Namibia, obviously, yeah, number yeah. one. But now that you're back, yeah. now that you've come back from Namibia, is it true? Is it true that trophy hunting is benefiting communities in Namibia? The people I spoke to, and I won't give away too much because we can watch the film, but, <laughs> but the people I spoke to claim, uh, said to me very clearly that in some form there is a benefit coming through. Now, over the years, that benefit has increased, whether that's financial or whether that's just domino effect benefits such as uh, meat and just, just other opportunities, just meeting 
uh, new tourists coming through where it might give an, someone else an opportunity to network and create another business themselves in their conservancy. Mm-hmm. So there's all these other you know, um, opportunities, I guess, and benefits for communities. Um, we visited five conservancies, um, all with completely different needs, and in some cases, different environments as well. Some were very dry deserts, some had a bit more sh- uh, scrubland and stuff, uh, very different wildlife. And uh, one conservancy we went to currently, although is trying to get lodges, only has trophy hunting for tourism that's all they have because they're not far from a tosha national park so to to build a lodge you yeah, have to good. compete with the, mm. the, the biggest and the best mm-hmm. um so they only currently have trophy hunting so, so they said it very clearly you take it away i mean where are they going like you know and if you do want to step away from trophy hunting you need to have something you need to have something to start that build if you take it away now what what they can't go anywhere you you, you fucked it for them um so I would say yes from the people I spoke to the ov- the overall even if these people were like look it's not the ideal way but you know sure, we are benefiting sure. and the, and the wildlife is is regulated um managed and also so other communities if something goes wrong what I wouldn't say is that it's brilliant throughout Namibia because I'm I'm really strongly against blanket statements because we all know how complex everything is. There's probably a conservancy somewhere or a community or a private bit of land that is not doing it to the book. And that's not just assuming that. That's way more happening in the UK <laughs> than is anywhere else. But yeah, so I would I would say from the places we went to, the overall census was um it's good, it's getting better, and we're enjoying having this element of um, ownership and control on, on the land that we live on. Well, I, I, I purposely didn't tell you that it was a loaded question. Was it? Because I was hoping for you to, I was hoping for you to answer the way that you answered. <laughs> Thank God for that. I, 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 I hoped that your answer wasn't, everyone I spoke to were champions of trophy hunting. No. Because that's not true. No. Um, and I think that, as you said, I think the circumstance dictates mm-hmm. the land use that the, the community is going to value the most. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's going to be certain communities that are upset with trophy hunting. Yeah. There are certain communities that are going to be, hey, we're not deriving the benefits that they say we are. Yeah. There's going to be certain communities that say, absolutely, we are deriving the benefits that, yeah. that they are. And we're getting more and more every year. It's just going to be on a gradient, right? Yeah, And absolutely. this is where, unfortunately, you know, and I, I appreciate what you're saying because, again, being in sort of stepping into the investigative world of like, what is the truth here? Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like if you were like a true, like a very, very, very pro hunting organization, you would sit on this side of the gradient. Yeah. And you would focus on only those conservancies that are like, yeah, trophy hunting is the best thing ever. Mm. And then you sit on this side of the equation where the Adam Cruises of the world and the Humane <laughs> Societies of the world live over here. And they're like, okay, we're going to focus on the conservancies that hate trophy hunting. And, and we're going to paint that picture. <laughs> and then it's like, what about the people in the middle, people? Yep. That's where mm-hmm. we need to focus. Like, and, and be okay if you're yep. doing a film like yours that one guy sits in a chair on the right and he says i love trophy i'm a big fan of trophy and the guy next to him goes no 
I don't. Because I don't have a job. You have a job. I don't have a job. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's as beneficial to me as it is to you. Yeah, exactly. And ultimately what we're, we're asking, I think if we, if, if we ask the, someone from the global north, so someone from the UK or someone from America, really the starting question, like what do you think of trophy hunting should be like a deeper question. That should come later. The first question is, do you think it's unethical to kill an animal? That's your starting question. Because if the answer is yes, I think it's unethical, it's like, well, dude, we've got, we've got to stop here then. Because there's no point going any yeah. further. Because no matter what I could tell you, no matter what, you know, pro or con to do with any form of hunting, no matter what I tell you, you don't think the process is. So we're already flawed. If the answer is no, I don't think it's unethical to kill an animal, then we can go to the next bit. Then we can go, okay, so do you mm-hmm. think it's unethical to finance off of that? killing of an animal do you think it's to okay to create an economy from that and so there's there's later questions come down i think you have to really start with that and i think i would imagine it's the same in places uh, like namibia or any other country well you know every country does trophy hunting but when you ask people if they're not connected to it if they don't rely on it whether it's for a job or uh for money or an operator or anything then they're probably going to have a very different view than those that do and that's the same in England, you know, we trophy hunt here in the UK with some of our deer species. Now, if you ask someone in London what they think of that, they'll go, it's disgusting. But if you ask the deer stalker that gets a good wage off of it, then they'll probably have a very different view. So I think, like you said, it's, it's the needs, it's the, the motivators behind this that actually drive the opinion rather than the system. I mean, that may be not true. There are a lot of systems out there that are probably broken <laughs> with trophy hunting that would drive my view to an ante. But... Um, as if we're looking at it as a kind of, you know, flat plane, then I would say the the motivator behind it probably drives a lot of the a lot of the um, opinions. Yeah, it's you know it's unfortunate that we, and again maybe it's a maybe it's being bred through this this new age of social media mm. in that there is no there is no radical middle anymore and i had a, a podcast i had two podcast guests that talked about the radical middle not the yeah. radical left or the radical right but the radical middle which is it's it's very rare to live in this world in which you're open to ideas from the mm. left and to the right and you're open to this idea that maybe my perceptions are a little flawed um and i need to accept the the, the sort of falsehoods built into this thing that i believe in versus you know truly just standing behind my cause and being sort of blinkered or blinded to the things that are are bad mm. about it yeah it's i and the other thing that really gets me with the topic and this may be going off on a tangent i'm not sure but the thing that really gets me with trophy hunting when we have the discussion is that we, we, the focus is always, and this may have been said on your show before, but it's, the focus is always on Africa. And because it has these iconic species, so it always goes to Africa. And so much of the time... I'm it's just low-hanging fruit. Just low-hanging fruit. Yeah. And it's, I, I, but I just sit there and go, they go, but they, they trophy hunt in Namibia. Yeah, well, fucking let them. Like, like it's not your country. <laughs> like... We have, especially in England, tried to control enough countries in our past. Can we not, for once, as an English person, I'm begging us to concentrate on our country for a bit and focus on what 
we need. And yes, we're within our right to put in whatever legislations within reason we want, but we have to understand the repercussions of those legislations or those changes into our laws as well. We we have to. And it's and if it's putting pressures on other countries, again, we've done that enough in our history. And it's important to recognize mm-hmm. that. And I think, you know, it's a very patronizing view to think that Africa needs our help with this all the time. They need our views. They need our help. They need our money. Actually, a lot of these countries are very new at independence. Can we let them create their own systems? And yeah, I just mm-hmm. I, I get very much like when my country's in the state it is, we shouldn't be pointing and trying to advise other countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the trophy hunting idea, the trophy hunting definition, whatnot. The i just the the. The term, right, is the, yes, the thorn that yeah. is in the is, that is in the hunting <laughs> industry's backside, and it's never going away. Let's be honest, okay? We're mm. never going to change it. I know we've we've tried to call it conservation hunting. Um, I like the term. It's just never going to. It's never going to take gonna stick, off. Is it? No. As someone, well, somebody said it's like putting lipstick on a pig. Really, <laughs> if you want to change the terminology at this at this stage, you've of the then game. got to look at your motivation um, as as if to why. <laughs> Yeah, why are you changing the term? Yeah. You know, exactly. And that's what you get called out on. But here's where I'd like to, maybe this is something of interest to you that you can use in your mm. discussions when you talk to people. A lot of people ask, like, what is trophy hunting? Mm. And um, the trophy hunting aspect is obviously tied to big horns, big antlers, whatnot. But two things that are very, very key here that you have to remember. Number one, trophy hunting came as a result of a change in value that was placed on animals that came out of the 1900s out of America, Mm -hmm. in which all animal populations were being decimated because of the supply and demand for resources, specifically food, meat, and skins. Um, That's why pretty much all of our wildlife populations in the States were crashing Mm -hmm. almost to a point where they were not going to recover. And a, a a Boone and Crockett Club was was created by Theodore Roosevelt, in which what they did was they said, "Hey guys, you should value the mature male more than anything else, because it has these characteristics that you can value. It, it's characteristics that uh, you can sort of champion. It's also characteristics that show that the environment is doing very very well." And mm. so. The greater the horn length, the greater the antler growth, the greater the mass means that the system is doing better and better and better. Right. And so it was a it's a it was a way of measuring an indicator of ecosystem health, whilst at the same time shifting the value system from meat resource to this thing that is antlers right. and mature males, which allowed the population to recover. Cool. Still allows the population to recover today. Because mm. if you were still living in that value system, you wouldn't have the wildlife that you have. Yes, yeah. yeah. Second point is that pretty much every single hunter in the entire world, though they may say, I hate trophy hunting, or I am not a trophy hunter, or I find trophy hunting abhorrent, they're a trophy hunter. Because at the end of the day, trophy hunting is, is, is selectivity. It's selection of a specific animal because of a certain value class that you're assigning to that animal. Mm. At, the end, at, the, at the upper echelon, it's big antlers, big tusks, big whatever. But if you're a hunter that is stalking deer, for example, 
and you see a deer step out and you don't shoot it. There's a reason. And you choose to take something else. Yeah. You technically are a trophy hunter because yeah. you, you, you biased your decision off, off of some sort of value chain. Yeah. I guess trophy hunting... So when hunting, you say, I hate it, then... Yeah. You know? It's, I guess, because of the, know, the history of... I get maybe this is just related to Africa as well, but maybe the history of the way trophy hunting is formed in the continent of Africa is people see it as that, uh, the tourism side of it, the economic side of it, of paying money to go with that intent to take the horns. Sure. Whereas 100%. a hunter goes on a, you know, it could be a, just a recreational thing to do that on their own hand and nothing, no money has changed because they're just doing it because they're allowed to on that season. So I guess that's where the trophy hunting definition could wave a little bit. But like, absolutely, you're right. At the end of the day, if you're selecting something over something else, and also if you're taking something away, then essentially that is your trophy, right? You've taken the meat. You might have taken the skin still. You might take it, the antlers still. God, people are still doing that when they hunt. I know deer stalkers in this country that do that. So essentially there's a trophy there. There's a mem- memory. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a very difficult thing to, um, to define. Um, but I, you know, I think that's because of the gross history of it as well, and like you said, because of the the thorny aspect of it, where people go, "No, gross." I'm well, that's an actually. I might. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> no, I'm the one who asks questions <laughs> on this podcast, Ryan. <laughs> what What is the overall view of trophy hunting in the hunting industry then? It, it's It's interesting. You You have a certain sector of the hunting population that finds trophy hunting abhorrent. And And that's just because they're like, for instance, they see, and here's the, here's the problem within the hunting community. And you're just, you're just sort of delving and scratching the surface of the hunting Mm -hmm. industry. The hunting industry is extremely fractured. Right. And it's extremely fractured because of, again, I believe a very primal instinct tied to competition and ego. Okay. (laughs) Which is that industry as well. (laughs) Well, back in the day, you know, if we, you and me were hunters of the community of our tribe and I came back with a, a bigger animal, I was going to get all the accolades <laughs> when I struck, when I brought it to the fire, I was going to yeah. get the best pick of the woman and you were going to sulk in the corner because you were with like, <laughs> you know, I, I need to go out and do something better, you know? Yeah, and so right. there's an inherent piece of jealousy and whatnot's in there. And so, and then there's, and then here, the other thing that gets layered into here is the subjectivity of this thing called ethics. Mm. And I say it very purposely that way because someone's going to call me out and go, no, Robbie, there is no subjectivity to ethics. Yeah. Okay. However, there's a lot of people confuse ethics with opinion and personal preference. Yeah. There's a lot of subjectivity to personal preference. And so when someone is in a in the hunting community someone who chooses to hunt elephants versus someone who chooses to hunt white-tailed deer the white-tailed deer guy goes i would never hunt an elephant yeah you're a terrible person because you're you hunt unethical. an elephant yeah you're unethical well you're not typic- you're not really unethical you just have a personal preference for <laughs> not choosing to hunt that animal just pointed the gun at a different thing <laughs> Hundred percent. Yeah. And so, to to your point, there are there are fractions in the community mm. that, that are abhorrent to trophy hunting. 
again, I would ask the question back to them. Well, if that's true, do you just shoot the first thing that steps out every time you go hunting? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't, you need to question yourself to, you know, why do you believe what you believe and why are you sort of stigmatizing someone else that does something different? Yeah, 100%. That's interesting. So when you went to um, Namibia, I know I want to talk a little bit about the film Mm. and when it's coming out here shortly. Um, Were the things that surprised you? I know obviously everything surprised you. It's the first time in Africa. But were the things (laughs) that when you spoke with... When you spoke with people about, you know, their livelihoods, how hunting ties in with their livelihoods, were there things that were just like, wow, that was that was quite impactful to me? Um, there were two things I think that stood out to me that kind of, I guess, I pondered the most on the long drives and stuff. And the first thing was the people I spoke to, how, I don't know, how simple it all was in regards to trophy hunting like you you know when i i sit in the uk and you you we all say it's such a complex issue it's so oh it's so difficult it's there's lots to it it's a huge system but then you know i got to uh, airy rover puka conservancy and suddenly it wasn't difficult anymore it was very easy to understand The, the opinions were very concrete and the views were very whilst emotional they were very kind of strict this is our view this is what we think and i was like oh this is interesting i don't feel confused anymore i don't feel confused certainly not about how it's running here so that was something that kind of stood out although when i came back to the uk again i felt confused again because <laughs> you're then back into mm. this big thread of conversation you're like oh wait a minute wait what what and you get kind of tripped up and the other thing was that stood out to me is how many approaches to kind of restoring or what we would probably call rewilding in the UK, but how many, how many approaches were there in Namibia that I was thinking, shit, this is what we should be doing in England. Why are we Mm. trying to find a holistic way to manage wildlife, an integrated way? Why are we not getting all these, why are we not localizing it? Why, why are we doing it Mm. on such large scale? Why are we not doing it per council, per town? And, getting local landowners schools uh police all these people all these um relevant voices involved in restoring wildlife because when you hear this approach in some of the conservancies in namibia they tell you that the opinion of wildlife and the management of has changed over the years um you know you've got that battle of you want people to love the wildlife. You want people to accept the wildlife. And you also want people to su- survive and benefit from it. You, it needs to be there. And, so, and when I was hearing these things from um, some of the conservancy managers and the conservancy members, I just kept thinking, if, does wildlife have enough value in England to be, for people to want it to be restored? It's very easy to say, I want wildlife back. But does it truly have that? value both emotionally and economically for people to actually accept it coming back and i think especially when we look at suburban areas if populations of something increased is that community in that urban area willing to accept it being there do they see it as a benefit in any way Mm -hmm. like we are asking Mm -hmm. people in other countries to accept 
the benefit again whether it's emotionally culturally or economically to accept that animal coming back so to hear these approaches being done and to hear that the community and to hear it from the communities themselves that their opinions have changed one thing i remember um it was Fabio, a guy called Fabiano I spoke to who was a secretary for the Conservancy. And I said to him, how has your view of wildlife changed over you? You know, you've lived in this area for 30, 30 plus years. So how has your view of wildlife changed? And he said, I used to see something like a kudu and see it as dinner for X amount of time. That's what I used to see it as. I used to see it as I can get that get that kudu and that's and then I'll go after the next one. He said, but now I see it and I think, right, how can I how can I use this animal to go on for more than just the food aspect? How can I, can I tourist off this kudu? Mm-hmm. Can I help it benefit more people? Can I, mm-hmm. is there a population of kudus where I might be able to bring safaris through and actually, you know, have some game drivers and game rangers in? He said, so it it's through that, change of the value and we say value we always think financially but it's not just that like you said at the beginning it's sustainable keeping it going um Mm -hmm. with whatever the use is through that conservancy management is how he's managed to see that change and that's that's filtered through to a lot of people so i think those two things it was the the simplicity of being there and seeing it in the moment and then also just seeing these again those two words integrated and holistic uh, holistic ways of managing wildlife and people i think were the two things that really stood out to me yeah yeah 100 percent. so you went there to to create a documentary yeah um i guess had never been in the documentary film space before you decided to do this yeah it was do you know what it started it was meant to be a podcast and then the more i thought about it the more i i said to my editor for the show and you need to come with i can't do this on my own i can't all this is too much i can't host it and be getting bits on my phone and do i just can't so he came with and it was still meant to be a podcast and then he said oh, well, i'm going to bring a camera just to shoot in 4k a little bit just a little bit um just like a tour like any a camera that a tourist would take to a national park so it was, was not a big production by any means it was just an independent podcast going to namibia to to talk to some people we just so happened to just record a few things um and yeah it no experience in this learn on the job nine year drought in the country we arrived to heavy rain (laughs) Mm. classic british person traveling and bringing the weather with them and it was just this (laughs) it was just from the get-go from the moment we touched ground we did not stop you know four hours five hours sleep a night if that and kept going kept driving yeah it it was just an incredible diary of uh just testimonials and then you'd get in the car you'd have a two-hour drive and we'd sit there going you just like digest it all and we we were privileged Mm -hmm. to have uh, a lady called maxi lewis from naxo which is their um it's got such a long title but the namibian association for community-based resource management support organizations (laughs) but so a big big organization out there and she was with us the whole time and it was lovely to be able to sit in the car and have two or three hours with her talking about all this stuff Awesome, awesome. So, um, title of the film. When are we? Uh, when is it coming out? Where can people find it? Like, what? Give us some details. So, uh, the film's called Beyond the Trigger. Um, I, the reason why we decided to call it that is, I mean, it's quite self-explanatory. But you know, going beyond the hunt, we didn't need to learn about hunting. We know how hunting's done. Um, we know how an animal is shot. 
what we wanted to know about is the processes or the systems in Namibia on how that is run at a community level. So it's about going beyond that trigger. And also the trigger, because when, like you said, thorny issue, you say trophy hunting, people get a bit triggered. So we wanted to go beyond that and try and test people's, um, challenge people's brains and thoughts. So um, we've got our London premiere on the 8th of September. We've got our Namibian pre uh, premiere in Windhoek on the 22nd of September. And then later in the autumn, so October into November, we haven't got a date confirmed, but it'll be around there. We're going to be doing a live YouTube screening um, where we'll have a Q&A afterwards, uh, hopefully with Maxi as well and some other uh, community uh, members or community committee members. Um, and then we're going to be touring it around some universities in the UK. All these dates are TBC at the moment. Um, it's a quite a difficult time of year in England to be planning this stuff because everyone's on leave and on holiday. So, um, but yeah, it will be available on YouTube. Once we've done that live screening, it will then be on Into the Wild YouTube uh, there for people to kind of watch. And there'll be no fee attached to it because there was no, this hasn't been made in to make money. This was made to explore a topic. Sure. Well, I'm excited to to see it. Um, and again, once I heard about you and what you had done, and obviously being the position you're in, not coming mm -hmm. from a hunting background, and exploring this allows you to be, you know, more neutral than someone like me, mm -hmm. um, which is great. It's what I, we need. Yeah, I, th I think, like I said at the beginning, having these conversations, like you can talk about something without being in favor of it. Like that's that's the thing that I think. I remind people all the time. Yes. I can I can talk about anything and interview anyone without supporting it. We're just talking about it. We're just learning about it. And there are a lot of things in the wildlife and conservation world that are uncomfortable as fuck, especially where you start mm -hmm. going to other countries. Really mm -hmm. uncomfortable and quite dark stuff. But we need to talk about it. It needs to it needs mm -hmm. to be reformed. There's like you said, even in the hunting industry, you've got fractures there that need to have um reform the discussions reviews and the same in all these other industries and so i think having discussions and especially and i'll, I'll, I'll say to your listeners as well that you know branch out and talk to someone that is anti-hunting and to talk to someone that is not within your bubble because that's where you really start to test your own views as well and like you said sometimes we are wrong and it's important to kind of review those those moments no totally agree totally agree Ryan Dalton, I know now it's past noon, so uh, it's now <laughs> now you can have a beer. Now I can have a beer, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Friday. Well, my man, look, degrees. let me know. Let me know if we can do anything for you. Uh, thank big you, fan man. of what you're doing, thank and you. um, can't wait to see the film. Yeah, thank you very much. And just check our social media for updates. I'm sorry that the dates aren't in concrete yet, but we'll be posting it on our Instagram and Twitter as soon as we've got those dates in. So if you want to watch it or be ready for the YouTube, it'll be on there. No worries. Thanks, Ryan. Cheers, man. Thank you, Robbie. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.